This is a part of a course that I've taught and will teach again next year um, in the School of Ministry more completely. You're only getting a small portion of it, but it's kind of the central part of it. On renewing the mind, a lot of books out there talk about renewing the mind and a lot of teaching about renewing the mind, but very rarely do you get somebody that tell, do the teachings tell you how to do it, the practical things to do to renew your what it is to renew your mind and what it is you need to do to renew your mind. And the things that I'm teaching in this course are things that God taught me because when I got, when I got married, I was really messed up. <laughs> and then when I got saved, I was still messed up. And God had to do some work in me. And uh, between God, the Holy Spirit, and my wife, there's been some progress made, I hope. But a lot of it came through God teaching me how to identify wrong patterns of thought and what to do with them. And, and, and some techniques that he taught me. So these are things God taught me. And, uh, and they've worked in my life and are still working. In fact, I'm really learning how to apply them at another level now, which I will probably teach you in another week or so. So this is very real things to me because there's some strongholds in my life that God has brought out that I didn't even realize were there. And, and I'm assailing them with the techniques that, that uh, I'm going to teach you. And they work, praise God, because they're based on Scripture. So Romans 12, don't turn there, Romans 12, uh, 1 says that we are, because of the mercies of God, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, sacrifice which is holy and acceptable unto God, a reasonable service. Verse 2 says that we are not to be conformed to this world. That word means pressured on the outside so that you act and talk and look just like the world does in situations. And that's where, unfortunately, much of the church is today. But the next part of that verse is the key. But we're to be transformed. Very different word. That word means to take what you really are like on the inside and bring it to the outside. Philippians 2, Paul talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The first time I read that verse, I started fearing and trembling. (laughs) Because it almost looked as if I wasn't, you know, you've got to earn your salvation by how you work it out. But the key is you work it out which means you take something that's in there and you work it to the outside. So it does involve that four-letter word we don't like to say in church or anywhere else, work. So, um, and that's what Romans 12.2 talks about. So it's, the process of renewing your mind is really the process of taking, when you were saved, all that God was ever going to give you was put in you. It's in you right now. Everything you ever need to be, everything God wants you to be, to reach the fullness of the stature of Christ, is literally in you where you're sitting right now. Romans 10, Paul says, don't try to call it down out of heaven, and don't bring it up out of hell. But the word of faith is nigh you, even in your mouth and in your heart. So the process of renewing the mind is to take the salvation that God's already birthed in you and bring it to the outside because what stands in the way is that piece of wet meat located between your ears (laughs) called your mind and what we're learning to do is to reprogram that marvelous computer that's got viruses in it all right, so we're going to bring a virus eliminator. I've forgotten what it is anymore. I, I got a computer that doesn't need those things. So, anyway, Second Corinthians chapter ten. Now, to understand this process, I've got to go back and just review a couple of things we began to talk about last week, which is because it's talking about three things in here. It talks about strongholds. Most some translations talk about imaginations, uh, or or. Um, uh, uh, in this case, it, it is a word which is... Um, I forgot what the word was. <laughs> what is in the New King James? Arguments, that's right. Arguments. And the word means a, a, the word means a, a system of reasonings that literally hold themselves up against something or a, self, a self-vaunting or self-lifting pattern of thoughts. And, and, of course, this was written at an age when the predominant, one of the, the two predominant nations were, were Rome and Greece. And Greece was very intellectual. The Greeks were very intellectual. If, 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 your, if you couldn't understand it, if you couldn't, if you couldn't analyze it, if you didn't have the ability to do that, you were worthless. And, and Paul came and talked to some of these Greek philosophers when he was in Athens. 
and he shared the gospel with them, and they just laughed at him. But 1 Corinthians talks about that when it calls the gospel is foolishness to the wise. God's wisdom is foolishness to the wise. To the perishing is foolish, but they're perishing. But they're foolish. But they think they're wise, but they're perishing. So the world's wisdom, the world's system, in God's mind, is... I mean, look what it's accomplished. We're the most educated nation in the world. And look how wonderful life is in the United States nowadays. Every day almost, there's a shooting somewhere in some public place for apparently no reason at all. All of our education, all of our wisdom, all of our mental ability, look what it's produced. Because your mind doesn't change your character. Education doesn't change your character. Because character is inside of you. And only God can ultimately change your character. And only God can only ultimately only change this nation. More programs, more money, more education is just going to give people smarter ways to shoot each other. The only way it's going to change is when people's hearts change. And the only one that can really be a heart change is Jesus Christ. And so the process here is dealing ultimately with the strongholds. And I shared with you last week, strongholds, if you've got a computer, your computer most likely has a thing called a screensaver on it, which means that when you don't do anything on it for a while and you leave the screen on, you get fish going across or wavy lines or, or whatever it is, you know, goofy things you might put on there. You know. And the purpose of that, other than to entertain you, and I hope you don't just sit there and get entertained by it, but the purpose of it is, it, we got to, uh, every once in a while we'll go away to a, a place on the Cape and, the, and they've got a channel on there that's nothing but a screensaver. And my wife said, just leave it on because it's just fish passing by. I said, I can't just sit here and watch pictures of fish passing by, you know. You've got to be doing something. It's like, but, but, but that's, you know, I understand what she's saying. But the point is, the reason you've got a screensaver is if you don't, what they found out will happen is if you leave a picture on there, what will happen is that will eventually become embedded in that screen. And here's why. Because there's three parts to what he's talking about here, and there's three parts that you need to understand about your mind. First thing we learn is your mind works in patterns of thoughts. Your mind works in patterns of thoughts. And I've shared with you, I don't care whether you're the most rational logical person that's ever lived or you're the most irrational emotional person that's ever lived your mind still works in patterns of thoughts some of your patterns are more logical than others but they're patterns of thoughts because a pattern are thoughts that are connected together to form a picture and what your mind instinctively does is it tries to draw meaning out of things Your mind struggles with just getting information in there and not trying to tie it together to form some kind of meaning. And I talked to you about when I was a kid, and and even I think some of our kids have, they probably still have it, these cute books for kids called Connect the Dots. Am I the only one there? Am I really dating myself? Okay, Joe's dated with me too. All right. Um, And if you don't know what they are, it's just these nice, you know, manila pages in a book with dots and numbers on the dots and you may find some of them are connected with lines and there's kind of a theme to it and what they're trying to teach you to do is to teach you numbers to go from one to two to four three to how much three to three to four to five to six and eventually you bring it around and realize oh my goodness I just drew a chicken and if you connect them in the right order you'll come up with a drawing of what the author intended for you to draw. But our mind automatically connects things together to try to draw meaning out of it. And that's why whatever information comes to you, your mind is trying to figure out what it means now, what it's going to mean in the future. And that's part of how I learned to do that, is I learned to get it under control. One of the strongholds I used to have was a fear of, of, of certain types of sickness. And I've shared with you the story one years ago. And this is what really brought it to my attention. I'd gone to have a physical during the week. And I come home from work. And I, at that time, lived an hour away from work. I was still practicing. Well, I came from home from work. And I got home about 5.20, 5.30. And there was a voicemail on the answering machine. And I pushed the button. And it says, this is your doctor's office. Please call us Monday morning. Thank you. That's it. That's all they said. 
please call us Monday morning. That's the only information I have. My doctor's office, not even the doctor, wants me to call them Monday morning. But my mind can't just sit there. Well, let's put it this way. My mind didn't just sit there and leave that one dot alone. That one, that's one dot. That's one bit of information. My mind had to put other information together and try to come up with a picture. And before I was done that weekend, I had an image of me in the hospital with tubes coming out of me because there was something they found on my blood work that they had to get a hold of me. Now, I've learned to get that under control because it's stupid. It's just you're letting the devil play with your mind. But my point here is your mind and my mind is prone to trying to draw meaning out of it, whether we have the basis for doing that or not, whether we have enough data, enough information to do that or not. Now, if you're drawing a picture of a chicken and you've gone from 1 to 2 to 3, 4, and you're down to dot 15 out of 16, you can probably draw a safe conclusion that it's a chicken you're drawing because that one last dot's not going to make a difference. But if you're one in, between 1 and 2, unless you've got a pretty good Im- imagination, you don't know what you're going to draw. And that's how your mind works. And so the basic bit of information, by the way, when I call them Monday morning, they just wanted me to retake a test because they'd lost the result or something. And so I'd worked this whole thing up over weekend over nothing. And that was an alarm to me. John, you've got to get control of this. You cannot go on like that. And I, God began to teach me how to get control of it and do some things that I'm going to teach you how to do. So, but here's the point. Your mind, the basic unit, and so important to understand it because we're going to use this basic unit to reprogram your mind. Your computer, as sophisticated as it is, only works in two basic bits. Zero and one, on and off. Those of you who are computer programs know about better than I. It's got just two basic bits of information, right? And all that wonderful, miraculous stuff is just with two basic bits of information and what they do with it. So your mind works with the basic information is a thought, a singular thought. The next level is what your mind does is it takes those thoughts and tries to put them together and form some meaning out of them. And when it gets enough of them together and begins to use your imagination, it forms an image. An image is just something your imagination has formed out of dots. Now, images are very powerful. Because the more real they are, the more, the more, the clearer they are, the more they affect you. I'm sure many of you have had the experience of having a very vivid dream. And you wake up from that dream and it's so vivid, your body is physiologically reacting to those images you had. You know, you're dreamt you're falling off a cliff and you wake up and your heart's going boom, 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 boom. You're pouring in perspiration. Because we don't sweat in church, we perspire in church. You're pouring in, in perspiration. And you know, your wife, your spouse, what in the world's wrong with you? It's like, I don't know, you know, it's like that. And you were simply just in bed. You didn't move anywhere. You weren't falling off any cliff. But that image in your mind was so powerful, your body reacted to that. Do you know that your mind can make you sick? You can picture something enough that you can create it in your body. The symptoms. Now, your computer screen, your TV screen works the same way. They don't just flash an image up there. It is made up of a series of little dots. We talked about this last week. And, of course, nowadays they're much more sophisticated. The dots are more sophisticated. And with these HD TVs, there's more of them and that kind of thing. And, in fact, you'll see the numbers that tell you what the resolutions are and things like that. But basically what happens is that picture that's coming through your cable is a series of electronic impulses. And when it gets to your TV, what, and I know there's some that work differently nowadays, but the, old, the TVs, which were tubes, what it would do is it would have a stream of light or with color, three lights, and it would go and it would light these dots up in the same pattern that they were on the camera that took the picture. So all that's happening is there's a beam of light going back and forth, lighting these dots up to different intensity, and, in, and now with color TV, in the three, three dots, three beams, different colors. But it's just a series of dots. If you look closely at it enough, you'll see a series of little dots. If you look at a newspaper picture, it's under a, micro, under a magnifying glass, it's nothing more than a series of dots. Well, that's all an image is in your mind. 
It's a series of dots that have been collected together to form a picture. Now, that's so important to understand because one of the things we're going to learn to understand is that picture only exists in your mind. It may or may not reflect something that actually exists. In the dream, it doesn't reflect something that actually exists, but is very real to you. Last week I showed you, and I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight, I showed you a picture, and when I've done this in class, I'll pass it around, of my, of my granddaughter Emma and my grandson Jonathan, who, they go to church here, they go to school here. And I, you know, I passed it around and it said, you know, now, that's not my granddaughter. And you get people looking at me, what do you mean it's not your granddaughter? Because at that point, she's not, she's here tonight, but at that time she's home in bed. That's a picture. This is important to understand the difference. It's a picture of her. And if I don't understand the difference between the picture of her and her, I'll start treating the picture as if it's her. And what's happening in in many of you is from your past dots that were put in there, forming a picture, there are no more dots going in there, but that picture is so embedded in your mind, just like those dots on that computer screen, that it becomes embedded in there, and even when you turn the screen off, that image is still there. That's a stronghold. And a stronghold is when that image is so firmly established that you don't have to go through any pattern of thoughts to get that result. Some of you have raised, and I've been through it too, raised by parents that may not have been ideal. And they, 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 there's certain reactions, emotional reactions you have to your parents and you're 40 years old. And you're still reacting to your parents as if you're 10 years old. In here. Up here you know it doesn't make sense. But in here. I remember going through that with my father. I was 45 years old in a phone conversation with him. And I don't know, something he was saying to me and my wife, I got off the phone, she said, why did you stand there and take that from him? I says, you don't understand. When I heard his voice, I'm 10 years old. That's a stronghold. My mind's saying this doesn't make sense. My mind, but in here, which is where you react from, I was reacting from that image that I had as a 10-year-old of my father and the authority he had in my life, even though my mind was saying he was wrong about what he's telling me. But my, and see, some of you are doing things you don't understand. Why am I doing this? Why am I in trouble overcoming this? Your mind has learned the word of God. I know the word says this, but I'm still doing this. Why? Because understanding it in your mind doesn't change what's you're reacting, what's causing you to react and your will to react. Your will's not reacting to your mind. Your will's reacting based on the image, the strongholds that are in you. So what we're going to learn, as I taught you last week, the process is you can't tear the stronghold down. What you do is you stop feeding it and replace it with the right stronghold. Strongholds are good if they're the Word of God. The goal is to establish strongholds in you of the Word of God so that no matter what somebody tells you, no matter what your body tells you, no matter what the bank tells you, no matter what anybody tells you, you're not moved by what you see or feel. You're only moved by what God says. That's a stronghold. People will say you're crazy, but God won't. And you'll succeed where the people who think you're crazy faint and fail. So that's the goal and that's the process here. That's what we're talking about. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we see these again. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. So this is a form of warfare. And many of you have been warring against these things with your flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, so we're still talking about spiritual warfare, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And there's where our confidence comes from. Our confidence doesn't come from us. We're responsible for where we are. Your parents aren't responsible for where you are. Your teachers aren't responsible for where you are. They may have had an influence, but you chose to react the way you've reacted. You chose to keep those thoughts in there. You may not have known you were doing it, 
I'm not talking about being, you know, guilty of anything, but you're the one responsible, because until you accept the responsibility that those strongholds are in there because you allowed them, you won't be able to have the responsibility to overcome them. Because you'll have that victim mentality that says, well, I'm just the way I am because of how I was treated. And what that does is undermine the ability to change. Once you come to Christ, all things are possible through God. All things are possible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, we've got to renew. That's the inborn man. You've got to renew the mind. That part's not a new creature. But it says, Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. That doesn't mean you're experiencing the newness of them, but the opportunity for newness is there. But you've got to do something with it. Okay. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Now, Satan's weapons are carnal. Satan's weapons are your flesh. He works on your flesh. He, he tempts your flesh. He tries to discourage you through the flesh. So right away we see this isn't a fair fight, which is good. Because we're using the power of God. This is exactly what we saw in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. That Satan's weapons are deception. God's weapons are the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So the good news is, if you may have taken whatever... 20, 30, 40, 50 years to get to where you are, it's not going to take 20, 30, 40, or 50 years to change. Because we're going to employ the power of God to change. And it is anointed for that purpose. Praise God. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments. Now that's the word that in some translations are imaginations. But what it is, is a series or a system of thoughts. A system of thoughts that are, that, that are organized to oppose the knowledge of God. A system of thoughts, and in Paul's case, in this church, in some cases, it was philosophies. The systems of the world. The world has patterns of thinking. And the, and the news media is the method of indoctrination. And it is propaganda. When I was growing up and, and going through school, we were taught the difference between editorials and news. News was reporting facts. Editorials was the, was the author's opinion of those facts. There's no such distinction anymore. Because you, if you learn to read... If we just learn to think and we learn to read critically, you'll realize that a lot of times they'll, and I'm not off on the news media, I'm trying to show you there's a system that they'll use words that have, that have adjectives that are suggestive, they're, they're judgmental. They'll tell you things like, uh, 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 it was a huge disappointment. Well, that creates an image instead of it didn't work. Suppose they ran it, I'm trying to say, not to get political here, but suppose, you know, the space program ran a test and it just plain, the facts are it didn't work. Instead of reporting it didn't work, they said it was a huge failure. There's a difference in image between it didn't work and huge failure. Huge failure implies certain things. Huge just magnifies it. So those words have an editorial component to it. They're trying to Create an image. And my point is here. Our world system, the system outside of the church in, in the world today, is, is, is working on indoctrinating us. And the problem is because we in the church have thought that we're renewed through the removing of our mind <laughs> instead, of the, instead of the improving of our mind, we don't know how to think. We're living, and I don't really want to get off on this, but we're living in a culture that is not accidental. Well, I will get off on it. It's not accidental. I believe there's a spirit behind it. Because we're, 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 we're raising generations, and I mean even my generation. 
was, was beginning to be raised by you know, quick responses to things, push button. So as a result, most people today don't have the patience to actually read through something. And if this, I mean, you know, we've got people that the, the, the sum total of their vocabulary today is, what's up? <laughs> uh. It's just grunts. And, and I'm not, it's, you know, it's not a, you know, we may say well, it's a cultural issue. It may be cultural, but there's a very subtle danger in it. Because when we lose the ability to use vocabulary precisely, we usually lose the ability to think clearly. I'm about to meddle. We lose the ability to think clearly. Now, I haven't gotten many. Every once in a while I get a letter that says, Why do you talk so much about words? Because words are powerful. God used them. That's His method of communicating Himself. Words. But the enemy wants us lazy. So we don't know how to, not that we don't know how to communicate with each other. And I'm guilty too. So we, I mean, and I know some of you parents have had this experience. I've got grown kids and I've had them in the back seat texting each other. And you know the thing about texting? Oh, might as well just get into it. And there's a value to it, but it's very impersonal. I can say things, I don't have to look you in the face. I don't have to see your reaction. And I know it's a tremendous convenience. Emails are a tremendous convenience. But when I first started to practice law, you know, if somebody sent you a letter, we actually use letters, you had a couple of days to think about what you had to want to respond to it. But now you can be in the middle of something else and a message comes to you and you've got to respond to that. I'd refuse to do it sometimes. I just won't do it. And I won't use LOL and abbreviations like that. I actually use punctuations in it. I refuse to do that. Every once in a while I will, but I use punctuations. You see, you've got to think to use punctuation. You, <laughs> see, it, you, you have to use a punctuation when you have compound thoughts. If you have more than one thought at a time, you've got to learn how to separate them with punctuation. Now, I'm not making fun. I'm saying there's a, there's a system here to break down our ability to think Clearly, so that we will swallow whatever we're told. And the problem is it's crept into the church. So we don't know the difference between thinking like the Word of God and thinking like the world. Colossus is just one thought at a time. And I hope you see through what we're learning here, every thought is a dot that has as its purpose forming some image in your mind. There's no such thought, such, do, such idea as a casual idea. Jesus says there's no casual words. Every word that proceeds from us is, is, has significance. So we have to become more aware of our thoughts more discerning in our thoughts, more discerning in the thoughts we listen to. A lot of people come all upset. Huh? Do you know what I'm I said, who said so? Well, well, I said, isn't it important to know who? I mean, I don't read, believe everything I read. In fact, I don't believe a lot of what I read. I want to know the source. See, there it goes back to my training. But I want to know this. So where, how do you know that? See, that's how rumors go around. Well, pastor, somebody said so-and-so. I said, who said it? They get this strange look on my face. I said, I'm the pastor. I need to know. 
How many people said it? Well, they're saying. Who's they? I don't know. But if you don't, listen to me. If you don't stop and identify that thought, they're saying, that's a dot that begins to tie together with they're doing this. And they begin to form this image in your mind. And you don't even know who they are. I wasn't planning to get into this at all tonight. I had a nice... This is good. But it's part of thinking clearly. We've got to learn how to think clearly as a church. Thinking is God's idea. He's the one who gave this thing to you. He actually expects us to use it. All right. Okay. So, the word arguments in the New King James, it's imaginations in, in other translations. It, again, it means, it means a system of thoughts that are self-exalting and they shut out the knowledge of God. That's going to become important just in a minute. That's true in terms of what we're talking about now. The, the, the world system, our nation system, the, the secular system, and even some of the systems in the church. But, but those kind of imaginations... And those kinds of patterns actually, I was going to say, creep into the church. They stampede into the church sometimes. Keep something here and go with me to Mark chapter 7. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. We're going to pick up in verse 6. And he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. That wasn't a compliment. In fact, the only people he ever really got upset with were the hypocrites because they presented themselves as one thing when they knew they were something else. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain... That means worthless, empty. They worship me. So they're worshiping God, but it's in vain. When I prayed at the beginning of the service, I prayed that God would teach us how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because Jesus said in John chapter 4, true worshipers are what He's longing for. True worshipers are not singers. They may sing, they may not. But true worshipers are those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. It takes both of them. So the people in Isaiah's day worshipped, but it was in vain, in God's eyes. We talked Sunday about you can do all kinds of things for God, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, but it's not motivated by His love. It doesn't count as anything to God. So there's lot, oftentimes there are churches where lots of activity are going on, but the core point is how does God see it? Is it of value to Him? Is it of importance to Him? Does it mean to Him? Does the worship minister to Him? Because that's what worship is for, is to minister to Him. Okay, let's go on. Look here. In vain they worship me. Look at this. Teaching as doctrines. A doctrine is a system of thoughts that represents God. As doctrines, they're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the Pharisees had established their own system of thinking and they were passing it off as a doctrine of God. Verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Tradition. Now, traditions aren't all, all bad unless they stand in the way of the knowledge of God. A tradition is... Oh, we don't do it that way here. Or we've always done it this way. I've had some people say, well, Pastor Sam would have done this. And I look back and say, I'm not Pastor Sam. I'm concerned of what Jesus would do. And I know so was Pastor Sam. 
I want to know what he wants to do. Because our traditions... Now, there's a difference between a principle and a tradition. A principle is a truth. Truth never changes. Techniques can change. Methods can change. But principles don't change because they're truth. Oh, I'm going to, I'm, I am going to meddle here. And I don't even know if this is God, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, it is. We all agree this is the truth. This word tells us that the God-ordained method of disciplining children. Well, let's put it this way, that God has designed a particular part of their anatomy that's nice and padded, but it's filled with enough nerve endings so that they get the message. And it talks about applying the rod of correction, and by that you will save that child from hell. Now, because that's in God's Word, it's a truth. I haven't yet found in my Bible the principle of time out. Now, I'm not saying you need to spank the child in every situation. But there are some clear-cut situations where it's clearly violating commandments of God. Dishonoring parents, talking back to parents. Things that require what God's truth says. And that's a case where we've taken a principle and because we don't want to apply that principle, we're using the world system which has compromised this principle and we can see the results of that compromise. Now, techniques of of applying the principle may change. You may use a different type of rod today than they did in my day. (laughs) But the point is, when it's a truth, it never changes. It never changes. So, what the Pharisees were doing is they were taking, they were taking their own preferences, their own desires, and formulating doctrine based on those, and they were teaching them as if they were gods. Now, we can sit here and laugh at the Pharisees and point our fingers at the Pharisees, but every, most of us, many of us, have been raised in churches that have traditions and the question is, do they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God? Do they tell you what God would or would not do based on God's word, or they tell you what would or not God would or would not do based on their experiences? Well, those things have passed away with the disciples. That's a doctrine that many churches have. I can't find it in my Bible. In fact, I find evidence to the contrary where I say Jesus says to, for we're to do the same things that he did and greater things. Oh, but that's just the disciples. Oh, well, then if that's true, then they're the only ones that were to go in all the world and preach the gospel because he's the one that told them to do that too. See, we can, we, can, we can say, well, but when he told them to go in all the world and preach the gospel, that applies to the whole church. But when he told them to do the works and greater works, oh, that was just the disciples. You've got to take the scriptures and force them to say what you want them to say to do that. That's a tradition That's an imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God because it keeps believers from knowing what God's really like. It's religion. And religious systematic thinking. Now, there are theologians that I enjoy and and I studied some systematic theology and that's fine. But what I'm talking about is a system of thinking about God that's not consistent or not based entirely on what God says about himself. And that's what Paul's talking about here. But it's not just that. It can be your image of yourself. It can be how you see yourself, which was formed. Every one of us has a self-image. And it was formed in you, starting literally in your infancy, from how you were held by, who, by your mother, whoever raised you, and how what was spoken to you, spoken over of you, how your siblings, or didn't, did you, if you had siblings, or did, all those are dots that were put into your computer and formed images. And then you came to Christ. And when you came to Christ, that, those images didn't change. 
Because the only part of you that became new was your spirit man on the inside. That's why Romans 12.2 says we're responsible for reprogramming those images. But they affect you. So you can read the Word of God that says this is who you are, this is what you're supposed to do. But just like that phone conversation with my father, I'm standing there saying I'm 45 years old, I don't have to feel like that, but I was still 10 years old in here. So if you're looking at the Word of God that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but you've been taught all your life you'll never amount to anything, those words up there, you're getting hope sitting in church, but when you go out to act on it, there's something holding you back on the inside. It's that image of yourself in there. That's a stronghold. That's an imagination that's become a stronghold that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. So this is not just about whether you become more successful in life, not just about whether you overcome things. This is about how well you know God. And in a number of places... I'm thinking Peter, First Peter, Second Peter says, grace and, uh, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Through the knowledge of the Lord of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul prays in Ephesians that we would we would grow and increase in our knowledge of Him. Colossians, we increase in our knowledge of God. We need to know Him better, know Him more, and not just know more about Him, know Him more intimately. Because it's that intimate knowledge of Him that affects your worship of Him. That affects your faith in Him. That affects. Remember what? In, in you know, the, the, we'll probably get into Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four. But they're preceded by verse twenty two, which is the foundation for those key scriptures on faith. Which is Jesus says, "Have faith in God." See, He knew His Father. In John eleven, standing at the tomb of Lazarus, and He's you know realize in His mind He's not standing in John chapter eleven. In his mind, he's dealing with a family in crisis. This man, who's a good friend of his, has died. And the family, whom he loves dearly, is blaming him because he waited two days. He showed up two days late, as far as they were concerned. Their thinking is, if you'd gotten here on time when he was still alive, we have faith you could have healed him. That was where their faith ended. But he got there... Two days late, and now the man's four days in the tomb. And the one sister comes out crying to him. She's being nice about it, but basically she's blaming him. He didn't care. And he starts crying. He starts weeping. This moves him to see his friends suffering over the loss of their brother. And he loves them. He loved their brother. And he see knowing. This is what's amazing to me. He wept for them, knowing that in only a few minutes, they're going to have their brother back. Oh, this is good. This is all about knowing God. See, my thinking is, wait, hey, look. I'm going to raise him up, so just cool it. I know you're upset, you know, but it's going to be okay in just a few minutes. Just calm down. I'm going to take care of this. Let's go out to the tomb and I'll show you what I'm going to do. That's how I would have thought. Now, this is important for us about knowing God. He's so touched by what you go through. What you're experiencing means so much to Him that He wept for them knowing, knowing. He was moved by what they were going through, knowing that He was going to deliver them, him to their brother to them in only a few minutes. And we wonder whether God cares. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The knowledge of God, our methods of thinking, the images we have, which have become strongholds, interfere with our knowledge of God because we'll read a scripture. Oh, I might as well give you an example of this. I've been meditating on Mark 11:23. And I'm going to go over this again more next week for when I get into some of the details. But but you know, I've I've known that scripture for 30 years. And I could quote it probably in several translations. 
but I haven't known it. To the point that it's, met, it's moved me. It's affected me. And so I started meditating on it. And I'll go through how I've done that when I get to how to meditate. And I was going through it and all of a sudden it hit me. Wait a minute. It's the same Jesus. Because Jesus, he says, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says will come to pass. Now I'll ask you the question, don't answer, but how many of you really believe that? The proof of whether you believe it is do you do it? A mountain doesn't necessarily have to be a physical mountain. It means something that looks like an impossible obstacle in your life. Now see, I look at other scriptures that say you must be born again and say, I believe that. I look at other scriptures that say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I believe that. I believe other scriptures, Jesus said, that this is my, we talked about Sunday, this is my commandment that you love one another. I have no problem with that. But when it comes to, I say therefore, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said shall come to pass, he shall have. He shall have. That's a strong word. He shall have whatsoever he saith. It dawned on me, wait a minute. Those words came out of the same mouth that says you must be born again. Those words came out of the same mouth that says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Those words came out of the same mouth that says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But when it comes to those words, somehow they're watered down to me. Now, this may be me, but I've not been speaking to a lot of mountains lately. Now, you may have, but just bear with me. So what's happening with those? They're running up. When they go through my computer up here, they're running up against an image. Oh, you can't do that. I've never seen that done. That's impossible. It's impossible. Of course, Jesus says with God all things are possible. But see, those things that stretch the limits of what? Of what we think is possible. Those images of what we think is possible are strongholds that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God because it limits what, how you see Him and what He's willing to do. See, when you get into medic, Spirit of God will engage with you because I got on a roll with this one day. And then the Lord brought to me a scripture in James 3 that says, out of one well can't come sweet water and bitter water. Out of a mouth should not come blessing and cursing. That means out of the mouth ought to come the same message. So if Jesus says one thing out of his mouth about loving one another and about going into all the world and about being born again, then this word has to have the same power, the same, it has got to be just as true as you must be born again. And if I can't trust that word, how do I know I can trust any other word he said? Because if he didn't mean this the same way he meant the rest of them, then he's not being truly honest and straightforward. And how do I know which word I can believe and which word I can't? See what that thought, what I'm doing? I'm attacking a stronghold. I'm attacking a stronghold. But what I want you to see tonight is every one of us, whether you realize it or not, we may not be thinking like the world thinks, that there is no God. That's the one they're trying to sell us now. There is no God. I mean, you won't be able to sell that to us. It's too late. Too late, you can't sell us tonight. That'd be like trying to tell me my wife doesn't exist. That's too late. I met her 46 years ago. We've been married for almost 45 years, living together for that same amount of time, no longer, and, and, and no less. You can't tell me she doesn't exist. But there are things about God 
that this word says are true that we have trouble accepting because it runs up against images of God that have been formed in our mind. I'll close with this story. When we went out, first went out to Bible school, we went to... It, I was raised in a household, I've told you about, you know. We were... I, I wasn't necessarily, but the people in our home were very intellectual. My stepfather was a very intellectual person. And so that was the value system we had. You know, when you met somebody the first time, you found out, well, where did they go to college? You know, and if they went to a certain type of college, then that put them in a better... You, you saw, thought more of them. I mean, they could have been total moral reprobate but they were, they were intelligent and they were educated. And that was a value, was a system. And that was a stronghold in my mind that I've had to work at and still have to work at sometimes. I forgot what the story was I was going to tell. <laughs> I got back in my childhood. Bible school. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, so we're going, so I'd always struggled with healing. I could see the scriptures. I didn't get a study on it. I could still struggle with it. And one of the first time, service, Sundays we were there, we go to a Sunday evening service. Yeah, I know. We go to first Sunday evening service. And uh, i got to close. First Sunday evening service. And, and, and uh, the, the, the guy that's, it's a healing service. And the guy starts out, because he'd been raised in the family of one of the main healing ministers of the Great Healing Revival of 1950s. And he said, you've got to understand when I pray for the sick, I have trouble believing that somebody's not going to get well. He says, you've got to say, as a boy, I sat on the edge of stage and I watched my father lay hands on people and they came out of wheelchairs. I saw them throw braces off. I saw blind... Every night I saw this. See, he had different dots put in. And I'm watching him, listening to him, and I'm thinking, and I watched your father on TV and my parents mocked him and made fun of him. Same instances, but different dots were put in. And the result is, he had no problem understanding that God was a healer, but I've had to work to overcome an image that was formed in me that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So this is about changing your image of yourself to match how God sees you and changing your image of God to match what he says about himself. And we're going to begin to learn how to do that next time.